Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about Critical Role and the Wendy's controversy, the unearthed arcana, and Jordan's players have too high of AC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Good morning. And I even see a few new people in chat. One of the persons was in just as we were getting ready to go live. They said, hey, I just saw your thumbnail that looked like I had the same dry erase board you had. So I'm here. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> the same uh, battle mat or the dry erase yeah, board? Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, that's a Chessex battle mat that mm-hmm. uh, I drew on and then uh, used my camera and and hovered over it. Um, I think I like I ended up. Um, I my camera has like a rotatable uh, uh, viewing screen, and I had it like up here, and then I had the screen rotated so I could see the mat, and it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of finagling to get that shot to make it look <laughs> half decent. Um, but it turned out pretty good, and so that's our backdrop for our, uh, our show. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, we are a uh, D&D podcast live show Twitch YouTube thing where we talk yeah, about all, news all and Dungeons and & Dragons and uh, various other things. And then we talk about our personal games and kind of how we're evolving as Dungeon Masters over mm-hmm. the, the many years that we have been playing. Um, how's it going today, sir? How are you? It's pretty good. Finally got a little chilly. The final preparations for the pool is definitely getting happening oh, today yeah. because Mission I don't think we're getting in any warmer yeah, any no. warmer weather at this point. So that is I'm true. ready for Halloween. I've seen people starting to put their Halloween decorations up. Is your house filled with Halloween decorations? Our house is. So my wife loves Halloween. So <laughs> I think it was September 25th she put up all of the Halloween decorations. <laughs> and we have yeah. little pumpkins in the in the in the driveway and gravestones and uh there's a bunch of like skeleton stuff inside the house so yeah we've been doing all kinds of halloweeny stuff um gotta figure out my costume though because i've got a costume party to go to on the 19th and i don't have a costume yet so i'm not sure what Hmm. to do yet i don't know there's got to be a D and D. That's what I was what like. Wait, so I want to be like a giant D twenty or something stupid. Yeah, but yeah. I can't. I'm not that crafty to make something like that, and I don't think I can find anything to buy. So I don't know. <laughs> but maybe I'll just get or, like a giant sack, like a, yeah. a garbage bag, and I'll be like, "Oh, I'm a bag of dice." There you go. And like, I'll just write "bag of dice" on the front. That'd be awesome. Or you could do one of the Stranger Things kids if you got some '80s clothes. You could do. Um, could you pull off a Mordekainen or? A know. Volo or a, a Serac, maybe uh, for different modules that were released this year. You try one of those. Let's try that. Um, <laughs> Xanathar. Maybe. Oh, a could you be Xanathar? <laughs> I'll get another trash bag and I'll blow it up like a balloon <laughs> and I'll attach a bunch of arms to it. I think so, that's a good. I don't idea. know. I love Halloween, but I am the worst at actually getting a costume done and ready. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at all of my Halloween costumes, most of them were like last minute. <laughs> so it's weird. It's weird that I love this. I, I love this, uh, this holiday so much, but unless mm-hmm. I'm really inspired, like one year, um, my wife and I went as uh, Ghostbusters 2 
and she yeah. was Yanish, the like the guy that does the paintings. Yeah. So she was the little guy. We got her like a wig and everything. She looked awesome. And maybe I'll try and find a picture and put it in the show notes. Um, and then I was the painting. And so I, I found a high-res image of that painting, and I cut it out, and I put it on PVC pipe. And then I cut out a, fi- a hole for the face, and I just walked around this party carrying this giant thing. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm usually – I'm really bad at Halloween costumes, so unless I get super inspired. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, well, that's fun. That sounds super fun. Uh, yeah, so we but talk about D&D news. Dungeons what is going Dragons. on in the world oh, of Dungeons & Dragons? So much, really. So we got this week again, I'm going to skip a little bit here, but we did get another UA article. Oh, yeah. They're just coming out like fast and furious. So we went like almost a couple of months without getting one at all. And then all of a sudden we're like, hey, try this new subclass. Hey, try this new subclass. Hey, try this. So we saw a new article that showed us um, three new subclasses that are out there that you guys can try out in your test games. Uh, there's a new cleric one, a new druid one, and a new wizard one, which I was like, yes, we were just saying in last week's show that I wanted more wizard um, subclasses. So maybe we're going to get another one. And it was a really, it's cool because the wizards are starting to move away from the schools of magic types because you know in the book there's nine of them and there's like it's transmutation or it's you know enchantment or it's this but now we're starting to get these ones that aren't really related to a specific school of magic but a different type of wizard altogether and i really enjoyed it what do you think reading through a few of these or was there any one that caught your eye this time around i know sometimes some of them didn't or did over the last three or four weeks that we've got them um no i really liked all of them uh the the Twilight Domain seemed kind of fun, and if, I don't know, like, I was trying to, if you're going to play, like, a Shadowfell cleric, almost, it felt kind of like that, and you could do a lot mm-hmm. of, like, Twilighty cool stuff, so I liked that. Um, the the Druid Wildfire was um, interesting, m- more pet mechanics that are better than the Beastmaster Ranger, and that's always kind of what it we comes down come to, is it's to like, it, it's always like, they, they come out with something new, and it's like, it's just better than the Beastmaster Ranger. But Maybe, uh, D&D, maybe they just hate the Ranger. They never seem to give the Ranger love. And, it's, and it really, I think with the Beastmaster Ranger, it, it strictly comes down to hit points. Like, all of these other pets have more hit mm-hmm. points than the Beastmaster oh, yeah. Ranger's pet. Because they've, they've changed the errata so that they, or they've updated it with errata mm-hmm. so that it's now does magical damage and uh, various other things to like improve the Beastmaster pet. But um, yeah, I don't know. But I like this idea of like a little like fire, not an elemental, but just like a fire spirit that kind of follows you around and, and you can direct it and do cool things with it. And it synergizes mm-hmm. well. Uh, but the real cool one, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the Onomancy, I'm assuming? Yeah, I was, think, I was thinking Onomancer or Onomancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's what I was thinking. Really, this was really cool, especially because I just yeah. did a video on true names and devils and summoning devils and demons. Mm-hmm. And then to have like, well, we're going to incorporate this true name business into D&D again is really, really cool. Uh, and I like this one a lot that you can uh, – there's – I don't know how they'll tweak it because I think um, the extract name specifically says on a successful save, you learn that this magic failed and you can't use this feature on the target again, period. Mm -hmm. Not like a day, not a week. Like it's just you either learn it or you'll never learn the true name of that of that thing, which I Mm -hmm. thought was interesting. Um, And they might tweak this and there might be other 
like story driven ways to get true names from something because I just picture there was a Reddit thread where people were talking about this and they're like, well, what if you're, you're fighting your, your huge monster and you use this, you know, you have a level one bonus action, you extract name, the huge monster then uses uh, a legendary resistance to resist it. Mm -hmm. And then after the resistance, it's just like, well, now I never know that name. And so now the rest of your class is dependent on knowing the true name of that creature. You can't do any of your fancy pushing and pulling and knocking them prone mm-hmm. and doing all this other cool stuff um, unless you know the true name. So it's kind of like now you're just a classless wizard, which I thought mm-hmm. was – I was like, no, that that's a fair point. And so I don't know. But if you're, if you're uh, trying to get the true name of the big bad – evil guy at the end of your campaign maybe you're maybe you're searching tomes and maybe it's a whole quest to get that true name and in your dm can kind of work that in so that was what a lot of people were coming up with as solutions so yeah yeah i think there has to be a level of difficulty there where some things you're gonna be able to learn the name pretty easily and maybe that spell is one of the easier things but there are going to be things that are much more powerful that that's not going to work right that you're going to have to do something else that that shortcut isn't going to work for you when you're going up against Zariel or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, the other thing I thought was weird, I'm sure there'll be an adjustment to it. Cause I think it was really cool. It looked very powerful the way they had written it, but it also, there was like, you could cast a spell Bane or bless, which I guess means then I could just find out the true name of my party members and I could always cast bless for free. Uh, I didn't read it like that, but because you can cast it. And once you know the true name of somebody, if I know the true name of my party members, can't I then just cast those spells on them? Which I thought was interesting because it didn't say you couldn't cast it on a party member. You either cast the spell without expending a spell slot if you speak the true name of one target of the spell as part of casting it. Oh, you can cast spells in this way a number of times equal to your intelligence modifier and you regain. Yeah, so... So maybe they thought of that and that's okay? Or so I if thought, I know is that the a true loophole? name of my party member, then I can cast <laughs> yeah. it without casting a spell slot. That's pretty yeah. powerful, actually. I kind of glossed right. over that, but yeah. All right. And Bless allows you to pick a couple of people anyways yeah. as additional targets. So mm-hmm. maybe you only need to know the true name of one or two of them, and all of a sudden you've got your whole party maxed out on Bless without using spell slots, and you're a wizard. That's yeah. crazy. That's not yeah. even a spell you normally get. You're concentrating so, on it though, so you couldn't cast yeah. it a couple times. You could only oh, cast it once. Was it a concentrate? Yeah. That's why I don't know because yeah. I'm uh, yeah I'm a wizard. I don't They're know concentration about spells. <laughs> so, but yeah, still, okay. like that makes uh, sense. It's it's powerful. So yeah, I mean, but at least you could put it up again a couple of times if you have that because you're going to have a good intelligence modifier. I mean, you don't rarely see a wizard who has a low intelligence modifier. In well, the concentration is Constitution though. So. Right, but you said you casted the number of times oh, for your... equal to your intelligence modifier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. So so it's cool. May, I get, I'm sure they probably figured out. They're smart people over at Wizards of the Coast. We always think that we're smarter than them at times, but if you really dive into what they're talking about, if you really listen to Jeremy and Chris Perkins and Mike Merles, they really do get a good understanding of what they're doing and how to kind of level it into the rest of their game which is really interesting so i would i liked it i like the idea that the we had kind of a darker twilight almost kind of cleric a cleric that's happening between dusk and dawn kind of thing i think you could do some really cool stuff there could be a very very vampire huntery kind of cleric i thought too because you're trying to hunt them before darkness or right at that right at that tipping point 
of when things are happening. Um, the Druid one was interesting flavor wise, like this idea that you're really about regrowth and rebirth. And to do that, you must scourge away everything. You must like burn away enough that it can all come back type thing. So that could be a very heavy leaning Druid that's a little bit different mentally than you get with some of your other druids. And that could be a really fun character to play or to just kind of play around with that whole concept a little bit. And then obviously anything wizard I love because I played way too many wizards. So <laughs> it's uh, it pretty good. It's interesting with the, uh, the Feywild barbarian and this almost like fire uh, elemental plane of fire druid and this true name mm-hmm. wizard. Like a lot of people were speculating that maybe we're getting a planescape book. And that mm-hmm. the next group of stuff will be... Because Wizards has been doing combined books. You know, usually it's like a monster manual and something else or something, you know, da-da-da. And so maybe it's going to be player options and, like, a history of the planes. And we just went to Avernus. So mm-hmm. they're leaning towards that direction. Um, I don't know. I was really... Do, what What do you think this new book is going to be? That they're playtesting I was the wondering. For? I almost started to get a Dark Sun feel for the first time. Like... Uh, any of the other subclasses they would have released, I might have guessed maybe this is an Eberron, maybe this is a Greyhawk, maybe this is a Forgotten Realms, definitely a Forgotten Realms. But lately, I finally, for the first time, have been getting some Dark Sun feels. So I wonder if maybe we're starting to lean into one of those worlds is about to make its appearance. We still have this speculation that Spelljammer could come out, which could definitely lead into planes hopping and planes jumping and world jumping and multiverse jumping kind of stuff. Um, other than that, I was trying to think of what other setting would this fit in. It doesn't feel Dragonlancey to me, but I haven't read enough Dragonlance, and it was so long ago when I did. I can't remember if we had Druids of Fire and and Clerics of Twilight and, you know, and, and Onumancy was a big thing or any of these other, like you said, the, the Fey Wild kind of barbarian style. Um, but I do think it could lean into a, a big planescape. And in, with us moving to Avernus as the first kind of plane of existence that we've gotten in 5e, it makes sense that they might now really expand and say, okay, you had that. Now let's really go into all these different planes. Because we know they like to go into that stuff and they like to have the different planes affect even Forgotten Realms, really. I mean, they always are referencing the planes of fire or, you know, the the, the elemental planes or, you know, um, all of the other, like, Modrons show up all the time. So yeah. we know the planes are out there. We know they, they interact with the worlds that we're building. So it would be cool to see a fifth edition book version of that. So I'm, been, I'm curious. There's been a manual of the planes for, like, every edition of D&D. And I mm-hmm. really think that this is going to be their manual of the planes book that they're working on. But they're going to yeah. combine it with player options. Um, so, and even hinting way back at Xanathar's yeah. got that, uh, that planner ranger that like, mm-hmm. you know, so the, the, the gate, wa- the, the, the one that can walk the, yeah, I can't the, remember the name of it. I forget the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They can find doorways though. They can find portals. They can find ways to get from one place to another, which seems pretty cool. I guess that makes sense too. Cause if we had a plane of fire, you could say that 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 barbarian or that that druid that's going to be kind of the fire base could be a fire plane kind Mm -hmm. of creature we know we're going to get a warlock of the deep so that might be a version of a of a water plane kind of class um we'll have to see if we get something for air and earth then for the four planes the four elemental planes and then we jump into all the other cool stuff so but like the twilight cleric kind of feels like a shadowfell cleric to me and like i don't know Mm -hmm. it's just kind of 
So I think we're getting a manual of the planes is is my that's what I'm guessing at. So we'll see. We'll hear about it pretty soon. I think there's going to be an announcement. I was watching spoilers and swag and they said that there was an announcement coming pretty soon. And I think it's the setup for what the next um, big adventure is going to be because we're, we're, we're almost past all of the releases for this year and we've not been teased a single 2020 release book yet. So there's not, we don't have a hint. We don't have a, a, a screenshot to go on. We don't have any anything yet, but I bet we're gonna about to get it because they've got to start building the excitement for next year. Now that Avernus is out, um, Eberron's about to be out. Um, the Rick and Morty, bo- it was a box set. They've been saying that all week long that the Rick and Morty, Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty is a box set. So we, we kind of talked about that last week. Um, and those are coming out on the November 19th dates. Uh, Eberron War, uh, something more rising, right? Um, the last, last war. <laughs> Rising of the Last War or something like that. There yeah, I, I forgot. I just wrote it in the notes. But that's coming up. We have one last October um, release coming up. So that's about it. I mean, so we should be seeing what is going to be the next thing to get us excited. So it's interesting. With a lot of new UA articles, it's definitely a lot of subclasses um, for us to take a look at, which really jumps the number of options that you have to an unprecedented level at this point we're starting to encroach on that 3.5 area where there were so many options that you Mm -hmm. could build your character that we're really starting to to get to that point now where there's you know each class has more than seven or eight plus different ways you can take that class without even talking about multi-classing or feats or adding any of that stuff in so that's that's interesting we're really getting a lot of diversity so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really I, cool. I wonder if we'll get more races now at some point too here pretty soon. Because that could tell us a little bit about the setting too. If they put out some UA races articles for, hey, we're going to, because they did it for, you know, when they they said they talked about the centaur or they did the minotaur or they started doing some of these other creatures that really informed kind of the setting. So I wonder if we'll get any of those to give us a hint at some point too. Possibly, yeah. yeah. So... Other than that, um, other big news that I saw this week, I did watch the Dragon Plus um, with Jeremy Crawford. They answered a few questions there, but there wasn't really any big news stuff that I saw. Spoilers and Swag did a bunch of um, uh, just giveaways. They didn't spoil too much. They spoiled a lot about the books that we're already going to get. Their next Spoilers and Swag show, which is in two weeks, I believe, or it might be a little bit more than that, they said they're going to do a deep dive on spoiling Eberron. So if you're if you're the person in our audience that is dying for the Eberron book to come out, then definitely make sure you put that Spoilers and Swag on your calendar because they're going to show a bunch of stuff from that book just before release. Um, there seemed to be, there was one other thing I learned about Eberron that now I've forgotten. I should have wrote it in my notes. I write it in your notes. It was interesting, but I was, I was watching it on my phone at the time. (laughs) Darn it. I should have wrote it down. Um, The other thing I noticed, which was really funny was there was a big um, kind of campaign push last week where they were showing, Wendy's was showing some kind of fantasy based uh, artwork to say, Hey, we've got something we're about to announce. Keep an eye out. And so it finally came around this week. And what it was is they put out a full RPG that you could play a tabletop RPG that's based on their, you know, tongue in cheek 
kind of world. I looked at it. It's it's high quality. It's an actual game. It's not just like a one page. It's like 125 kind of, pages or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, like full on actual role. Play. Somebody put some time and work into building a role playing game. And then even funnier, probably the funniest episode I have watched to date. Critical Role did a one shot of it and it was hilarious. Like I was laughing the whole time. I think when they got done with that episode, their faces must have hurt so much from how much they were smiling and laughing and Mm -hmm. joking around. And it reminded me of sometimes the joy that hanging around with four or five people, everybody's kind of on the same page. Everybody's just kind of going with it. They're embracing the humor. They're 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 going after the puns. They're and they just had a really good time. Everything doesn't have to be serious monologue or serious emotion in it. It doesn't always have to be life or death stakes. It doesn't always have to be um, you know pop culture references all the time. But it's fun to see a really just energetic and fun show like that. And I just laughed. Um, it was very interesting that immediately after that, <laughs> there was quite a bit. Of, I, went, I don't know how to judge how much backlash there was, but there was the critter community or portions of it started really downing on them about taking this corporate sponsorship from Wendy's, who apparently, according to some of the, the audience of critters, is an evil corporation at this point, <laughs> like the Empire, which I had no idea. Like, I didn't even know, even a, uh, I had never even heard of anything like this, that one of the fast food places was a, you know, a terrible place. You should not go there to buy their stuff. So I looked into it a little bit. And yeah, it, there's a, a farm workers co-op for tomatoes in Florida that were trying to get all of the big companies to only buy from the farms in Florida that agreed to certain terms for their workers and wages and working conditions and things like that. And if they didn't, there were some companies that kind of held out and didn't sign on to the agreement. Then there were sporadic um, campus, college campus um, marches and demonstrations and stuff. I never heard of any or, or saw any in my area, but there was apparently one up here in, in Michigan not too not too long ago. And uh, Wendy's seemed to be a holdout of that. Like they, they had decided not to. The other thing I noticed as I dug a little deeper, there were plenty of people saying that there was a CEO or there's a main portion of on the board that they're a Trump supporter. So that was another big ding towards Wendy's as far as the, the critter community. I think there, there's a big divide there. Um, going on so they they took after uh critical role a little bit on twitter and then you know uh, critical role had to or decided they needed to address it and they decided to don- donate all the funds that they got or generated from that to another co-op a farmer's co-op that they had found so yeah farm worker justice uh which is yeah. uh probably a, i actually didn't look this up so i'm sorry but i i'm assuming it's some kind of nonprofit that's there to help farm workers and and make sure that working conditions and things like that are good so uh yeah. and if you look at critical roles twitter they publicly mm-hmm. say like hey we did this and then matt mercer's twitter he put out a thing and he says you know what like we're not all perfect and sometimes mm-hmm. we make mistakes um, this has been new uncharted territory for them. Like they've never yeah. ran a business like this before. And honestly, if you think about it, there's never really been a business like this before. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure it 
it's not out of greed. It's not out of whatever, but you have to take sponsorships and D and D beyond can't necessarily be their end all be all of sponsorships for critical roles. So they were branching out. Um, so I thought that was interesting. It, it was a very funny game. Uh, it yeah. was very pro fast food and I don't, I am a person who just doesn't like fast food in general, like whether it's <laughs> Wendy's or anything else. Uh, yeah. but I, it was, it was funny. Um, but I think it really points to the integrity of the critical role people and how they really are just good people. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they're, they, they could have easily just been like, you know, let's just not talk about this anymore. And we cashed our big check and we're good. But mm-hmm. the fact that they really listen to the community and they're like, you know what? You're right. Like Wendy's is not helping farmers like they should. And we want to stand with the little guy because the little people in this in this world is really what makes the world go round. And so we want to like stand for the little guy who doesn't necessarily have a big voice. And so for them to take all of that money, a lot of people kind of equi- equated it to Robin Hood. Like, like they're like, was this a secret critical role ploy all along? Is that we're going <laughs> to get a sponsorship from Wendy's so that now the entire tabletop role-playing community is aware of Wendy's and their practices with the farmers um, and on top of that, they stole from the rich and gave to the poor, not stole, but like, you know, they were like, we're going to do this promotion and then we'll give it off to, to charities and things like that. So it was, I, I don't think it was that, uh, intentional, Mm-mm. but, yeah. um, I really, uh, again, I think critical role has come out and said that there, or has shown us that they are just really awesome, honest, good people and they want to do right by the world. And so that was, uh, I thought that was sure. really cool. Well, and and really, honestly, if Wendy's came to us and said, we want to sponsor your Saturday morning D&D show, do you think for a minute we would turn that down? I don't know. I don't think we would. It was funny. So I was watching watching Matt Colville last night. He was doing a Friday stream, and they were asking him about this Wendy's promotion. And he was just like, I don't think I have time to even think about it. Like, I would probably be like, no, I don't don't have time to understand the ramifications of this, so I'm just going to say no. And it's like... I don't know, but like if somebody, I mean, you make a good point. If somebody came to us or if Wendy's came to us and said, Hey, we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars to do uh 10 shows or something like that. Like that's more money than I see in a long time. Like I would yeah. never see that kind of amount of money uh, yeah. where we could ask hypothetical questions all day, but it's like, where's the line, you know, mm-hmm. that you, that you cross. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, because I've never been presented with that situation, nor will I though. Let's be honest. <laughs> Maybe so might I not. can, yeah, yeah. I can leave it ambiguous <laughs> or I could even say like, yeah. well, we would never do that because it's just never going to happen. Um, yeah. but for, for the people of critical role, it did happen. And they were in that precarious situation where they had to make a decision. And, um, ultimately what I'm trying to say is I think they made the right one. So. Sure. Yeah. I think I agree. I like the idea how they handle it, but I also think it leads into something that's a little bit deeper because it's this idea now that you're not allowed to do business with companies that are perceived to be evil in some way. Somebody finds a way to, for them to be evil. If that were true, then if, if that's the, the kind of the mode we were going to go on, we were going to lock into that. Critical Role really shouldn't be working with Dungeons and Dragons because not too long ago they had a scandal where Mike Merles did something about somebody that was a play tester but was sexually harassing people at the company. The whole kind of Twitterverse blew up about that and then it kind of went away. So if they were really big on, well, that's an evil corporation now. And there's a lot of groups that say Wizards of the Coast, 
the company is kind of an evil company because they have Magic the Gathering, which has some really crazy business practices. But that's also the same company that does Dungeons and Dragons. So maybe they shouldn't do work with them. And then maybe they shouldn't do any of their, you know, um, support of D&D Beyond because maybe somebody said there was something. So you start to get into this. Now you have to research every single company. You have to research their history and you have to go back a certain, how far do you go back? You know, how long? And then you got to, well, who do they donate to? Because maybe they're politically donating to somebody you don't like, or maybe they have a person in there that's not a good person, right? So it gets really sticky. And I think that's kind of what Matt was alluding to this idea of we've never had to do this, but we don't, we've never had to vet who we're going to work with in their entire history to make sure that they didn't do something publicly evil that's going to come back. And we don't want to be a part of that person. It's so hard to, I think this idea that, you know, it's a, it's a really weird area that we're in. And I think you said it really well is we've never been in this place before. I've never seen people really dive into the history of a company, or even if it's a company, that's a company of, I don't know, millions of workers and millions of people that need to, you know, have a life. If everybody stops buying Wendy's, are we hurting more people than we're helping at that point? Or, you know, I just drove through Wendy's and there was a bunch of workers in there. There's a bunch of people that are probably supporting their families and trying to do that off of what they can do there. And if we all of a sudden, if everybody in the world said, okay, we're not buying Wendy's anymore, they're done. And that whole thing collapses. What harm have we done too? So now you're starting to think that morality. So I think it's a really weird and sticky mm-hmm. place and they're trying to navigate it and it, and they are good people. They're probably going to navigate it the best way that any of us could. I don't, I can't even think that I would navigate it as well. I would be one of those people that probably handled it poorly, whereas they've shown how to handle those kind of things really well. And I think that's great there. I, we were that video me and you watched um, yesterday about the popularity of D and D. One of the things that resonated from me in that was if you were going to pick ambassadors for our hobby, critical role is a great set of ambassadors. Who are you going to find that are better ambassadors for Dungeons and Dragons, they're they're sincere. They're they seem to be great people in everything they do, even in their personal lives. Um, they show that having just a great group chemistry is awesome, and you couldn't pick better people for that. So I think you know I'm always going to side with them. I'm always going to be on their side when they're doing something um, at this point. So I just thought it was interesting. There's a lot of nuances to the whole thing, and it's a really weird. It's like the real world. And the political turmoil that's going on in the real world starting to bleed into our hobby a little bit. And it comes in every now and then here and there. Um, So it's interesting. It always collides. It always comes back. We can't always fully escape, you know, our real worlds as much as we love to go into Dungeons and Dragons and fight demons and monsters and raid dragon hordes and all that kind of stuff. So, (laughs) Uh, And then this will be the last thing that I say about it, but um, you kind of summarized it or you said it really well, but I want to summarize it into this point is that I was watching the daily show a long time ago and they were talking about people doing exactly this. Like, do you support Wendy's or do you not support Wendy's kind of a thing? Like what brands do you support? And there, and Trevor Noah made a joke saying like, are we going to get to the point where you walk up and you're like, I want to buy this tea kettle, but what's its views on abortion? Yeah. And it's like, is it going to come, is it going to come down to that, that all of a sudden it's like, well, I can't buy this kettle because the company has publicly said X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's just kind of interesting. And so I think that was very much the situation we got in where they had to be like, Hey, we're a company where like critical role is a company that's designed to make money. Like we need to go out there and do shows and make money like this. And they got a sponsorship 
and it was a hilarious show. And Wendy's put mm-hmm. out like a really funny uh, a tabletop RPG that I honestly think. Uh, and here's another question for you: How many people do you think are actually going to play that though? Like they put all this work and they made a 125 page PDF with all this artwork. It looks really cool. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think anybody's actually going to play that, but maybe not. I downloaded it. I read through it. I would love to have the hard copy sitting on my shelf just to have it because they apparently made some and they're at the New York Comic Con. They're handing them out. And there's apparently a bunch of people that have been asking, can we get a printed version? I think it's a novelty thing. I think it's um, similar to um, maybe a Stranger Things box set. Maybe it's similar to this Rick and Morty box set where they want to buy it because they're fans of, of that or they're fans of nostalgia or they're fans of pop culture. And they may not actually ever even play it. But, I mean, look at us. How many modules have we bought of Wizards of the Coast and we haven't even played yet? Yeah. And that's even way more relevant than this thing would be. So it's interesting. I think I want to try to play a one-shot of it. I think it would be funny. This feels like a fun Halloween one-shot to me. Like you could get your friends together and say, hey, we're going to go off the rails on Halloween night. Everybody dress up as your character. And you could have these really funny, you know, food, fast food-based character classes that are doing crazy wacky things in this crazy wacky world and the idea that they're fighting the clown empire which is mcdonald's and you can have all these analogies of them taking on funny stuff so i just think it there's i think there's some legs to it i think there's a little bit of um fun that you can have with it from a one-shot point of view i don't think anybody's going to run a campaign of feast of legends and um i did see uh daniel the um, i'm trying to remember his last name who wrote um, Zvivalander, uh, a really popular RPG that's out right now, got a bunch of awards last year. Um, he was in a marketing company before he started his own company to build role-playing games. And he worked with some of these people and he named some of the people that were passionate about making this. So there were a couple of marketing people who came up with this idea, sold the corporation on it to say, hey, let's do it. And um, they thought it was funny. They ran with it and they made something that seemed pretty quality and they didn't make fun of us the community doing it like so many of the marketing things that I've seen with Dungeons and Dragons, they will make fun of the people that actually play it. Right. So if you get actors in your commercial, they might, you know, do a terrible job of showing what Dungeons and Dragons is or just lean into those old style. You're only played in the basement stereotypes and it's only certain types of people that play it and that kind of thing. And we're, we're getting past that. This was a real, somebody put some time into it and, and, and really um, enjoyed making it. So I, I give you know, hats off to that. They at least did that. They put the work in. They didn't just patronize us about our hobby. Um, and it's funny because there was the other thing that kind of popped up was I think KFC did a dating game simulator they did. and somebody put a bunch of time into that. And there's a bunch of streamers playing that. And it was just a tongue in cheek, funny kind of thing. So these food, fast food companies are, are going at each other using these pop culture gaming references. I think that's funny. I think that's great that they're, um, you know, what's McDonald's going to do or what's, um, you know, Culver's or I guess whatever the big, in the map, they showed like Jack in the Box and Carl's Jr. And I was trying to think of all these other big fast food places. Long John Silver was was listed somehow in there. And it was like all this funny, crazy stuff. So it was interesting. Or Panda Forest, or it was, I think it was one another one. It was just super funny so yeah there was uh michael schmidt had a good point where he was saying well why can't we be socially responsible shoppers and uh i just want to make us my last point i guess is that we can like 
I do this every day of my life. I'm sure lots of people do. Um, And if you don't agree with a company, don't support that company. That's exactly what you should do. Um, Yeah. And I guess that's my point. So moving on, because I think we've hammered (laughs) this into the end. Like it was an interesting talking point, but like, I don't know what else to say about it, I guess. So uh, I'm going to awkwardly segue into uh, (laughs) some role-playing games because that's what we do here. We play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. Lucian, what was your week in role-playing games like? So we did a first session for our Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Um, we'll try to do spoiler-free stuff here, so I won't tell you too much about it. online or in nope. a group? I'm okay. sitting at a table. Sitting at a table. That's crazy. In a basement. Lu- Lucian sitting at a table playing yeah, yeah. role-playing games. <laughs> With uh, Greybeard and uh, LB Hack'em-Up and some new people I got to meet. And it was pretty funny because it was very very stereotypical D&D session. Like we were in a basement on a card table. We had nice. miniatures out. We had dice out. People ordered pizza after a while. There were snacks everywhere. Um, and we ran, a, we ran a session. It was pretty fun. I'm playing a tabaxi monk, which is super awesome. Um, even at first level, I feel like a superhero at this point, all the stuff I can do. Because when you have a climb speed that equals your walk speed, surfaces are awesome like crawling across walls going you know using everything that you can to do stuff is really fun and it can be very cinematic so i'm having a lot of fun with this brand new tamaxi first level monk we made second level by the end of the session um one thing that's interesting about it um we well obviously not a spoiler but you start off in in Baldur's gate and we're playing a very by the book kind of version of it which i think we're going to get to talking about a little bit when we talk about some of the games you were playing about sticking to the book and playing by the book, and it's going to be the exact adventure. Um, One thing I noticed too about this one though, is it's because it's at the table, obviously when everybody said at the very end of it, what's everybody's schedule, nobody's schedule could combine together. So it's going to be a once a month game because that's about the only time that we could schedule all these people to come and sit back down at a table. And I think that's very telling of a non-online game because my online games are all, we play weekly just about, although every now and then we reschedule a session and we move on to the week, but we're getting in all of those about three sessions a month at least for all of those campaigns. Whereas the sit down campaign, I, I don't think we're ever going to get that many sessions in a month. But we are talking about doing one session that goes longer. So that's a very different version of Dungeons & Dragons when you're playing one session every 30-ish days and you're going to play for seven or eight hours or six or eight hours versus we're going to play every week, but we're only going to play two and a half to three hours during that week. So it's interesting. It's it. It's going to be a different way to play. It's definitely a way a lot of people play the game right now. And I like the idea that I'm playing the way so many different people are playing. So I'm playing at a table. I'm playing online. Um, I'm going to conventions and playing. You know, I'm getting all of the different parts of our, our, our hobby. And I'm experiencing all the different nuances of it. So it's really cool. So that's that was really fun. That was on Saturday. So I won't have another update on that until we play again, which I think is in two weeks. We're going to play in two weeks, get together and play a nice big long session and see how that goes. Um, the group was fun. The group is a mixture of people who haven't played since like third or fourth edition are just now coming back. 
So there's a couple of people that are getting to experience fifth edition for the first time. Our dungeon master, LB Hackamup, she has dungeon mastered for her family a few times and a few different games. Like she's done some um, um, kids on bikes and some other stuff. But I think this is her first dungeon mastered 5e game for, you know, like a, a group of friends or a group of people that we've been brought together to play. So very kind of different thing. But then there's me and uh, Graybeard that are in that, which are we consider ourselves veteran gamers and we like to get into our characters and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's a good group. Um, the group's starting to, to build its backstories and we're starting to mesh as far as players and see how things go. So I think that was pretty fun. Uh, Monday night was my Seeking Revenor and we had a special guest, which was this really good actor friend I know. Um, Jordan came in and he played a couple of characters for us. So he got to play a PC character in a jail broke i call the the whole session jail broke because they broke out of jail um and jordan got to play a pc which was a dwarven ranger our player was gone so he got to step into those shoes and then i gave him two npcs to take him off my plate because as a dm i had plenty of stuff to do anyways um and he got to play two elven rangers that had been captured but had just been released so um were kind of didn't know the people that released them, but we're certainly happy that they're no longer jailed by ogres and, and norkers and, and stuff. Very combat heavy, sneak around, skulk around, get into fights that you weren't quite ready for, don't have all your resources, but you got to get out kind of um, session. I thought I had a lot of fun. All the players have been talking to me through the week, but I wanted to hear Jordan's kind of review of what do you think of that Monday session from your point of view? Uh, no, it was a lot of fun. I, I, if I'm going to be honest, it was weird playing a character that was somebody else's because I was so mm-hmm. scared I was going to kill this character or I was going to do something. I don't know. I just didn't like that aspect of it. Um, but uh, I, I feel like I couldn't, I could, I, I'm glad you gave me the NPCs because I could play a little more like, well, if these die they're that's fine. Like I can, I can go around and one corners did. and in one did. Yeah. But I can like look <laughs> around corners and be like, okay, like I've got these NPCs that nobody really cares about, but I was so scared that that main guy was going to die. And I just was like spooked about it, but, um, <laughs> but it was fun. We went the wrong direction. Um, mm-hmm. We could have gone South and found all of our equipment, but we decided to go in a big circle and then find all of our equipment. So we had lots mm-hmm. of like touch and go battles with monsters that uh they were they were some tough fights i feel like uh the tension was high for me i will say that like i was not just because i wanted this ranger to live but also just like looking at the situation but uh i think it was especially i don't remember the players names i apologize but the paladin was like Mm -hmm. no we just got to push forward guys keep going and i'm like but we have no equipment what are we doing (laughs) so but it was good times it was fun yeah i i i've been talking to them and they they one of the things that they were really talking about is they love the touch and go. They, they thought there was always a point in there where they thought, Oh my God, this is it. This, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. And yet you guys would pull it out or the rolls would go just right. Or you guys' tactics would be just good. There was a point, there was a key point in that whole thing. I told one of the players um, before the session that this is really a coin flip, right? It's a 50, 50. If you go one way, you could walk right into a full on TPK. Cause you guys don't have any gear the thing you could run into is bad, right? And then you could go the other way and you could get all your gear, you could escape, you could go through a a much easier route of having to deal with things and not have to deal with that. And I was telling them like, I don't know what you guys are going to do. I don't know what you're going to pick. And it was interesting. Your character had the pivotal uh, role for stealth and then perception to find 
the big giant troll that was up in the northern part yeah. that could have wiped the party out. I mean, if that thing had gotten triggered, that was it. That was going to be a party wipe because you guys did not have the stuff to beat that thing. That thing is like, that thing is a combination of a hill giant wrapped in with all of the mechanics of a, of a troll. Oh, so goodness. it's full on regeneration. It's full on super beast. It's got lots of attacks. It's going to hit super hard. And it's so when they do finally have to take that thing on, they need to be at full strength. At full strength, they can do it. I have no doubt that their their paladin and their new monk that they've got and their their barbarian can just lay in the damage. This is a very heavy melee damage party that we're running uh, with this group. So I, I don't doubt that they can beat it, but man, not at that point. Not if that if you if your character had triggered that troll. Whew, but you had a great uh, stealth roll and you had a great perception roll to see that it saw you saw it. It didn't see you. I hope I, one of the things I did as a DM, I was trying to give you clues that there was something bad up that way before you got there. So I was hoping that's why you decided to stealth and go sneak up and look. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe you didn't catch it in that. Maybe it was just normal operation for you. But I was just like, <laughs> I was hoping because I was trying to give a few clues of the real, the stench started growing more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of thing. So, but it was fun. And they're in a black pyramid. Um, they, they've got their gear now, but now the big thing is nobody has a rest. Nobody has a lot of hit points. Nobody has their spell slots. Um, and now they're the big debate over this coming up Monday is going to be, should we rest or should we press on? So I'll have to see what they're going to do. And they know there's something upstairs above them that they're going to have to fight through. There's a lot up there too. So they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place and have to make some hard decisions, which I love. I love this idea that the players have to make these hard decisions. So I, I've been really excited about these, the, these sessions. Now this isn't my seeking revenue campaign. This is a homebrew campaign that's loosely based in forgotten realms, but we're in a land that's across the ocean, across from the sword coast ocean. That's a whole new land. And I've done full revamp of what's going on over there. So I'm not using the forgotten realms continent over there, which was called, one of them is called uh Revenar is one name that you can find for it. But the other name is like, um, Mastika? Chrome, Chroma. No, there's like a CHR name to it. It's above Aztica. So it's north oh, of Aztica. Okay. Um, there's another name up there for it, but Revenar is one of them too. Um, so this has been really fun because it's a West Marches style hex crawl. They're in a dungeon at this moment. Very, um, very combat heavy. They're not big RPers, so we're not getting big monologues. We're not getting big NPC um, interactions. It's mostly just clearing out this place of evil, so it's Mm -hmm. been pretty fun. Wednesday got rescheduled, which is my Tomb of Annihilation, but it's my really fun uh, War Wizard that I've been playing. I've been loving it to death. I can't wait to play this. It's my favorite character to play right now, Vanguard. And it's a really good um, straight run through of Tomb of Annihilation done by Danimal, who I just saw joined us in chat. He's my Australian dungeon master, which is super cool. And he does a great job of running us through this really iconic um, Wizards of the Coast adventure and i think i said it last week i'll probably say it again this week or i'm gonna say it again this week i think tomb of annihilation if you have to pick only one wizards of the coast fifth edition module to play like you're new and you're trying to figure out they've got all these ones that are out there and which one should i pick i really think tomb of annihilation is their strongest adventure over all of them 
Now, the other ones are good. I'm not saying that any of them are bad or you shouldn't. Like, I've ran Storm King's Thunder, and I think it's a great module that you could run. But I think Tomb of Annihilation has all the things you want for quintessential D&D. I think it's laid out in a way that a dungeon master can run it pretty easily. Um, it's got all of the stuff that you would want in an adventure. So if I was going to name just one that they put out so far, I think Tomb of Annihilation would be the one I would recommend. What do you think, Jordan? What would be the one Wizard of the Coast module that it's only you only get to pick one, then the DM's only going to play one. Which one would you recommend to them? I'm thinking you're going to say the background. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking you're going to say Salt Marsh because you're playing it, but I, I'm we'll see. No, I wouldn't. No, not Salt Marsh, but. It depends on how you want to play. Like if you want a salt marsh or a tales from the yawning portal kind of experience where you can kind of just sit down and loosely put these adventures together. Like, but uh, of the ones, the, the big storylines that they've released, I probably would also say tomb of annihilation. I think that was the one that stuck with me the most after I read it. But um, like I said, I've never, I haven't played in any of these other than I'm currently playing in the acquisitions incorporated one, but that wasn't necessarily written by the core wizards of the coast writers for their big epic storylines you know that's just a little one through six adventure Mm -hmm. Um, but Mm -hmm. uh yeah no i think i would agree with you like i really liked tomb of annihilation i liked the the death curse and how it was all wrapped up in the the storylines with their uh, acquisitions incorporated and things like that um i haven't played curse of strahd but i did a really extensive video on it and although i like curse of strahd uh, I don't feel like it's good for new dungeon masters, whereas mm-hmm. I feel like Tomb of Annihilation, I think just about anyone can kind of pick that up and, and move around and do that kind of a thing. Where where Curse of Strahd was good, it's also another, not rehash, but like an updated version of an older module. Um, and as far as like new modules for 5th edition, I really liked Tomb of Annihilation. Even though I guess you could say there's some of the Tomb of Horrors buried in tomb of annihilation so it's not 100 percent original uh but yeah i don't know woof woof well and i may change my tune because we're about to get tyranny of dragons the re-release two big mm-hmm. campaign books split together and now reworked so that, that all makes sense and it's got a new opening chapter to get going and it's got a good um, way to combine those two things together and it's gonna be a nice big book so when i get my hands on that one i may change my tune because that one looks super interesting to me um, but right now it's, yeah, it's TOA for my money if I was going to run. It. And I think it'd be fun. You haven't got to run it though. Have you, you just no. read through it. No, and, I just read through it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you would run it at any time coming up in the future? Do you to. think you yeah, want to play my, in it? My, well, I, I don't want to play in it now that I've read, you've it, read it too much. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> but like I, I wanted to run it and I was actually like hinting at running it when it first came out, but my mm-hmm. players wanted to keep their characters. They didn't want to go back to level one. So because mm-hmm. of that, I'm like, well, okay, like I, we could run the last like half of, not even half, the last like quarter of the adventure because you're level nine or something. But at the same time, without the buildup of actually getting to the tomb and like surviving all of that, I don't think they would have had the same experience. So I opted to keep doing a homebrew campaign rather than trying to do that. So um, cool. it's kind of the same thing with Descent into Avernus. I'm having a really good time reading that. And I really like that adventure so far and I want to run it. But it's a hard sell for my players because they really like being level 11. They don't necessarily want to go back to level one, which is weird because I'm all about like, oh, I get to start a new character. Like, I love playing brand new characters because I love leveling characters and seeing all of these characters that I'm interested in. But they really love their characters and I think they want to go all the way to 20. So we'll see if that happens. Um, At this rate, we're playing like once a month. So I don't think 
they'll get to 20 anytime soon because we're just not <laughs> playing enough for them to do that. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how you get those eight or nine year campaigns. If you're only playing once a month, they're going to really stretch out. So that was my gaming. So what about Jordan? We got plenty of time to hear about Jordan's campaigns, whether you were running them or playing in them. What did you have going on this week? Because you told us last week that this is your last month to get all the gaming you could possibly get into. Yep. So what's been going on? Uh, well, I had a baby shower, so I didn't get a lot of gaming in. But I, <laughs> I got my Ghost of Saltmarsh game in, um, and they are currently on. Uh, they've been hired to investigate an island that is full of undead, and they kind of need to like clear out the undead and find this burnt out abbey. Pirates have burnt this uh, this clerical this priest abbey, um, and uh, they they want to clear it out, make sure that everything's okay, so that this company can build a lighthouse on there. So step one was to land on the island and deal with all of these undead. And it was kind of an interesting mechanic where you make a survival check and then you can follow the path the pirates take through the sandy beach um, up until your So you can move one square for every point you roll on your survival check. So if they rolled a five, they can move five squares and then they're lost. If they roll an 18, they can roll 18 squares and then they're lost. And they ended up rolling like a 17 on this check. So they got the majority of the way through the, uh, the, the pirate, uh, undead beach. I lost my train of thought there. Um, <laughs> and then depending on which direction they go, they could either be safe or they run into a bunch of undead. And it was really a fun mechanic for them. And they kind of had to like figure out where to go. They went a couple of ways that were correct and a couple of ways they didn't. So they ended up fighting some skeletons. No big deal. Skeletons are a breeze for them at this level. But I got to use some new monsters because if they fight a certain amount of skeletons, basically if they go in the wrong direction a certain amount of times, then all of the skeletons on the beach kind of rise up and form two, no, three skeleton tornadoes and a skeleton juggernaut that's just this like large creature that's just made of all these different skeletons. Um, mm -hmm. And that was a really interesting fight because it was a really difficult fight and they had uh, to deal with all of these different things. Now my players, they like, they, they don't have a lot of area effects. We don't have a wizard. We don't have things like that. So when I give them challenges, they really like being, I want to focus on one monster. And in this case, they they knew they needed to focus on the skeletal juggernaut because he was the biggest, baddest guy there. Mm -hmm. And this is when I learned that paladins can just destroy undead faster than I think. Like there, it's 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 like paper. They just like cut through paper with skeletons with undead, I should say. So he was putting in smites into this guy. Um, it had like 130 hit points and they got it down to zero within two rounds, pretty much. Like, I think I got one or two attacks off. It was really crazy. Um, but then all of a sudden that skeletal juggernaut falls down dead. And, and I think it was eight skeletons rise up. So just regular skeletons. But again, my party doesn't do well with multiple monsters. They want <laughs> one hard monster that they can attack. Yeah. They don't want an because they have no area of effect. A simple fireball or a burning hands would have taken out most of those skeletons, but they don't have those options because we have a paladin, a barbarian, um, an artificer who kind of focuses on using a crossbow and, and, and support type stuff. Um, and mm -hmm. we have a, uh, a, a bard and the bard has some AOE spells, but not a ton of options. I think he has shatter. And so it's kind mm -hmm. of like, do I really want to, I don't know. So it's, it's really interesting seeing their, their dynamics. And when we finished that fight, they were successful, but it was kind of down to the wire. 
when we finished that fight, they were just like, oh my gosh. Um, I'm also getting a little frustrated because uh, when I when they come up against monsters like skeletons that kind of have like a plus two or a plus three to hit, um, mm-hmm. the majority of my party's AC is 15 or higher. And so when the paladin runs in there with his 20 AC, I'm like, man, you were so difficult to hit. And I'm finally understanding what my DM was going through with my uh, fighter. Warforged. Yeah, my Warforged <laughs> fighter that had, I think he's got an AC of 23 now. Oh and, my God. And you add like having the shield spell on top of that. And he's just like, why am I even trying to attack you? It's really frustrating. And I'm like, no, yeah. I, I completely understand as a, as a dungeon master, I am I am sympathetic to that now because I am in the same situation <laughs> where I'm just like it's it's really frustrating to roll six or seven attacks and hit once, you know, because you got lucky and you rolled an eighteen plus two equals twenty, mm-hmm. and so you have to roll so well in order to hit these guys. Um, we did learn some interesting uh, mechanics. Because uh, one of my players has, he's the barbarian that has Oath of the Ancients. Not Oath, that's Paladin. Uh, anyway, I forget the barbarian thing, but when he attacks, spiritual energy of his ancestors come around and he basically creates dis- that character, that enemy now has disadvantage on attacks against everybody but the barbarian. And he mm-hmm. really likes kind of exploiting this um, mm-hmm. in, in the attack that we do. Uh, or in the in the fights that we have, but a lot of this doesn't do well if uh, I do spells or area of effect attacks and things like that. And so we kind of figured out some some nuanced mechanics that it's not working exactly how he intended it to work. Uh, but that's okay. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't think we had to like relook at the rules. And I'm like, I think I'm in the right here. Or if I if my and what it was is my bone monster blows up into a series of bones. It kind of creates a whirlwind of bones, and they all take damage based on a saving throw. I don't think that effect is, it's not an attack. He's doing an ability and you guys are reacting to that ability. So because it's not an attack, there's no disadvantage. There's no like less damage and things like that. And he was like, oh, yeah. okay. It, may, it like, we all agreed that it perfectly made sense, but it was just interesting to figure that out. And uh, kind of one of those table, table times where you have to sit down and everybody has to open the book. And we really have to find the wording to understand that this ability works exactly kind of how we intend. So and my poor mm-hmm. cat is locked in this room and he's really upset. Poor Felix. <laughs> um, my homebrew game is still, we're waiting to play. We were going to play last weekend, mm. but I had a baby shower and we couldn't. We're going to try and play this weekend, but I think my friends have some friends in town, so they're unable to attend. So maybe next week we'll be able to play, but I've been really itching to do that home game. It's been fun. Um, and then we didn't play Acquisitions Incorporated because a couple people were out of town. So I just had my Salt Marsh game. But I'm having a lot of fun with it. I've learned that paladins can destroy undead faster than anything I've seen possible. And uh, having a high AC, I need to incorporate some wizards that makes them do some dex checks, I think, yeah. with uh, fireball or lightning or something. Because that's the only way I can seem to damage them is through yep. spells at this point yeah our, our party is kind of built the same way your party is they're they're melee powerhouses yeah. they're high ac um they want to fight things face to face they have a lot more trouble when they're outnumbered they yeah. have a lot more trouble when it's weird things are happening or saving throws are happening so i've definitely been throwing things out there and i've noticed if the if the combat is going to be a three round combat they blow it away yeah. If I can somehow get that combat as more things start to pop in, be a seven, eight, or nine round combat, they start feeling like 
they're almost not going to make it and they're just pulling it out by their teeth. Mm -hmm. So they get that tension build up. They get that really excitement going on. But if if it's only two or three rounds, they're blowing through it because they're, they're paladins dropping smites left and right. They're barbarians doing huge damage with great weapon mastery and all this other craziness stuff. And they've got buffing characters and it's interesting to play with really high AC melee heavy characters, you know, and lots of people like to play them. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. They're powerful. So yeah. Um, I think that's our show. Anything else we need to talk about before we leave? No. Hey, for all of you that are out there, definitely go to the video if you missed it and just give us your comments about um, some of the games you're playing in or like how do you handle high AC characters for those of you that are dungeon masters out there and out on Twitter. Keep an eye out on me and Jordan are constantly out there tweeting about the games that we're going to play in, whether we stream something, you know, offhand or we're going to join something. Um, I know you've been doing some GM prep streams recently. Yep. I you've think I'm going to do one today. So yeah, there I'm going to do a Ghost of Saltmarsh GM prep today. So follow the Forgotten uh-huh. Realms YouTube channel and keep an eye out for that. Maybe around three or four o'clock. So or, or two or three o'clock uh, Pacific. I might I might do a stream today because uh, I cool. think I'm going to try and prep on Saturday so more people can watch it rather than doing it on a random weeknight <laughs> yeah and for those of you that are listening to us on the podcast uh, on your drive to work or a few days later if you could just give you know a rating of some sort helps us out helps us move up in those charts and we can do more of this stuff so awesome that's it for our show yeah thank you so away, much Jordan. for coming out guys uh we will see you next week with another episode of the saturday morning D show take care everybody Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.